Now, as you know, yesterday, ANC Secretary General Esma Khashule told a press conference that the ruling party would expand the mandate of the Reserve Bank and explore the use of quantitative easing uh, to uh, deal with the government debt. And, uh, of course, I was quite interested in the use of intergovernmental uh, debt. And I wonder if, indeed, of course, that debt includes anything from SOEs right through to some of the municipalities. Of course, several hours later, the head of the ANC's Economic Transformation Committee, Inok Godongwana, issued a statement contradicting Mahashule and saying that uh, uh, already in 2010, Provin Gordon, in his capacity as finance minister, wrote a letter uh, to the then uh, Reserve Bank Governor, Jill Marcus, saying, let's also consider employment and growth. And he felt that that was enough of a policy statement uh, to show that since then, the Reserve Bank has taken into consideration the employment and growth implications of uh, whatever decisions they make uh, with the tool they have at their disposal, which is uh, the uh, prime lending rate. And, uh, of course, shifts in that aimed at reining in inflation. And now... Uh, uh, after Godongwana issued this particular statement, we also uh, saw some sentiments coming through from Finance Minister Tito Mboweni. And uh, could be rather confusing because all of these people, one would think, sit in the self, same National Executive Committee. And uh, it speaks volumes about, uh, I guess, uh, uh, the um, continuing divisions uh, within uh, the uh, governing party. And uh, it has also assisted in reviving the debate on the mandate of the Reserve Bank and shifted it away, I guess, from what I feel has been a rather unhelpful debate around uh, the ownership of the bank because uh, it's the government that sets the mandate of the Reserve Bank, irrespective of who owns it. And uh, I guess uh, for me, uh, faux pas or not, it was good that Mahashule was able to, I guess, set the cat among the pigeons and place this uh, issue around the mandate of the Reserve Bank on the public agenda. And I'm joined by two economists now on the line, uh, Isaiah Mshanga's Executive Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes, uh, also joined by Tumak Kubule, Economist and Founding Director at the Center for Economic Development and Transformation. Gentlemen, good evening to you, and thank you so much for joining us this evening here on Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Isaiah, let me start off with you, and I just want to maybe get the reactions of the both of you when uh, uh, this uh, statement came out yesterday. I certainly saw it, and uh, I mean, I guess... First laughed, and then uh, I guess the serious implications of this uh, dawned on me, uh, because if if I look even at the spelling of uh, uh, that uh, particular word there, it's uh, quite clear that this was something that uh, was uh, written in a very uh, hush and a rush-rush tone, uh, without time, I guess, to even get a a spelling sense check. But uh, Isaiah, just your perspective uh, on uh, uh, the utterances of Esma Khashul, and then, of course, uh, that rebuttal that came through from Inok Kodongwana and many others in the ANC after that. Look, I think it's quite uh, disappointing to get, uh, you know, a discord in terms of communication between, uh, you know, quite high-ranking uh, senior leaders of uh, the ruling party, some in government, some not in government, but within offices that uh, the ruling party operates from. So we have been talking about uh, policy uncertainty. This, in part, contributes to that. When you, get, when you get conflicting messages to say, this is what we want to do with the Reserve Bank, this is what we want the mandate to be, and then you get the uh, finance minister and, and, and people that are closer to government saying that was not, that was not the, the resolution or that's not what's, what's going to happen. But that, that aside... Uh, we, we really have to let this kind of debate to rest because they don't help achieve the objectives that we want to, to actually, you know, reduce unemployment and help a lot. But, of but why, why, Isaiah, would we have to, I guess, close the debate? You know, uh, 
Uh, maybe be, I mean, I certainly believe in the view that le- let a thousand ideas and schools of thought bloom and uh, let's uh, try and persuade each other rather than say, hey, don't talk about that. No, you know, I have on, ideology is, is good to talk about it around the fire, but ideology never builds economies. Ideology never creates jobs. So we can talk as much as we want. And at times, sometimes, a lot of uh, the people that speak ideology, they have never been in government where they had to implement policy and see uh, how difficult it is and, and see the, the constraints that government have in implementing policy. So they speak from a very uh, artificial theoretical point of view, uh, which for me, you know, it makes the debate very tiring. Mm. Uh, no, no real research, no, no empirical evidence from their own analysis which says in South Africa, within our context, this is what it would be. They will point at the U.S., but the U.S. is an, a developed country with a different set of institutions that we have. So for me, it seems as if uh, this, this matter of trying to solve South Africa's economic growth by uh, getting closer to the Reserve Bank or changing the mandate of the Reserve Bank, mm. it, it's really neither here nor there. The Reserve Bank cannot be used to solve issues that are within the microeconomy. Okay. You must do the stuff that is required in the microeconomy so that production takes place, uh, you know, Okay, that Isaiah, let's pause there. The Isaiah, Monday. Isaiah, let's pause there slightly. I want to bring in uh, Duma into the conversation. Uh, Duma, let me bring you in here. And uh, Isaiah making the case there that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's all good and well for us to have all of these debates around what we could be doing potentially and uh, having those that are sort of ideation on a theoretical realm. But when it comes to steadying the ship and uh, doing, of course, the work of uh, using the tools at the disposal of the central bank, uh, probably uh, shouldn't, I guess, uh, be placing so much uh, uh, by way of responsibility and uh, other things on onto the tools that uh, the central bank has. You, I assume you would have a different view. Yes, of course. Um, first of all, I have to say that the ANC, um, for, this, is not a, this is a debate that has started quite a long time ago from Polo Kwane, the mm. ANC, um, talked about the need for a broader mandate. And at the latest conference, they talked about... So it basically, they also said that the Reserve Bank, without sacrificing price stability, must look at growth and employment. So mm. what I want to say is that I support the review of this mandate, and I don't think that people should be shutting debates in this country. Sure. It's inherently anti-democratic, and we must debate it as long as we need to debate it, no matter what. It's a, it, that's the whole point of a democracy. Now, the second thing is that Mr. Mshanga is saying that ideology, but the right-wing ideology that he subscribes to, he has a right to his right-wing views, and I have a right to my different views. That's the second thing. So he mustn't say that he is not operating from an ideological perspective, because everything that he says, that microeconomic reforms and structural reforms is what will grow the economy, and that is what Dieter Boweni was saying in his Facebook post, there is no empirical evidence for that as well. That's number two. Now, the third thing I want to say is that, you know, um, if you look at, um, let's start from the global financial crisis. Mm. So basically the problem here is that we haven't recovered from the global financial crisis. Now, I saw a report that was done by the United Nations, and they surveyed every single developing country. I think the large ones were 50 developing countries. And all of them had used macroeconomic policies to revive the economy. And the... They, they have recovered from the global financial crisis because they were using monetary policies and fiscal policies and so on to stimulate the economies. And there are many examples. I don't know how many I can even raise. Like China, 
their response to the global financial crisis started working within three months here. So let me just say one, one other thing, is that today in the world, there is no central bank that just looks at inflation. Maybe Brazil and some extreme examples. Um, people who just look at inflation are called inflation matters. Now, if you look at, um, if you look at um, the U.S., throughout the world, the central banks, there's lower growth in the world and um, there's concerns around growth and all the central banks are, cutting, are moving towards cutting rates. So the cycle has turned towards a monetary easing. The U.S. has got to cut rates this year to stimulate the economy because there are risks to growth. And India tomorrow is going to cut rates for the third time. Australia this week cut rates. And um, China is reflating their economy. You mm. can go on and on and on. That is what's happening throughout the world. Okay. And but we let's pause there. economic mm. calamity. Yeah. Um, uh, and they, who in their right mind can say we shouldn't cut rates when the GDP went down by 3.2%? Mm. Now, the last thing I want to say in the Washington Post yesterday, Lawrence Summers said that in the U.S., when there's a recession... The average rate cut that has happened over the past century is about five percentage points. Now, let's pause there. Let's happened. pause there, but I need to take a spot break, and I'll come back to you on the other side of this. Okay. 24 minutes it is after 8 p.m. I'm in conversation with Isaiah Mshanga and Dumakubul, and we're talking about uh, the mandate of the uh, central bank. Uh, of course, all of this on the back of that announcement uh, by uh, the uh, ANC's uh, Secretary General uh, yesterday of uh, quantity easing, according to him. Now, uh, Duma, you were mentioning uh, just before we went to that uh, spot break that uh, many central banks across the world are, are have gone away from being what you call inflation nutters. And uh, I must say, uh, in, when I was in India a few weeks ago, uh, one of the big debates around the election was, uh, I guess, this narrow focus uh, of the central bank there. Many of the parties across the political spectrum saying we probably need a much broader mandate and a focus here. Uh, and and uh, the issues of employment and growth also coming up in that particular context. But I, I want us maybe to come back and say what mechanisms would be used here. So, of course, buying of government bonds in the marketplace and injecting what is called by many cheap money okay, into the okay, system, okay. right? Let me, let me explain. Let me finish the question. Um, because Isaiah speaks about this issue of context, and many people have suggested that with the kind of productive base that we have in our economy, that whatever consumption would emerge from this cheap money would be inflationary because I guess uh, by and large there would be too much money chasing too few goods. What is your view on that and uh, how much does context matter here when we do some of the international comparisons? Okay, first of all our economy has collapsed by 3.2% in the first quarter. By definition, there is no inflationary pressure. Mm. And if you read every single of the the Reserve Banks um, for the past five years, they are monetary policy statement, they always say there are no demand pressures in the economy. Mm. Actually, yeah. And then the third thing I want to say is that um, in terms of the, 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 the ANC statement had some errors. So let me tell you what happened. So what, what happened at the meeting is that um, one person mentioned the whole issue of inflation, soft quantitative easing, mm. and um, apparently the president said, um, nope, let's, let's, let's talk about that, but it wasn't something that was agreed by everybody in the meeting. So there was an error in terms of including that in the I statement. See, but okay. the other stuff, there was consensus um, around the issue of the need for the Reserve Bank to, to follow from everybody in the meeting, to follow um, what's it called um, the resolutions of the ANC. And you can't have a situation where people, um, there's a resolution of the party, and people disobey 
that resolution. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what the view was, yeah. And I talked to members of the ETC today, and that's what they were saying. And it wasn't related to ANC factions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, certainly the sense that I get from Inokodungana's statement was that uh, they are not, uh, I guess, uh, going against this notion of having a a look at uh, balanced growth and employment as an additional objective. He even says that in 2010, uh, Pravin Gordon, as finance minister, I guess, uh, wrote that in a letter to uh, the then uh, Reserve Bank governor. Uh, But I guess the issue is this use of quantitative easing in that conversation. Isaiah, let me bring you in here. Uh, Duma makes a very important point that uh, an economy in contraction for the multiple years that we've seen here, like the South African economy, surely wouldn't have any, I guess, um, uh, uh, you know, what demand pressures or demand uh, uh, um, inflationary pressures uh, that we could speak of uh, that would be triggered by any stimulus that would come from a monetary side of things. What do you make of that? Look, sometimes we, we, we did not make a point to be so important when it's not. I think when you have a patient in hospital, for you to administer the right medicine, you need to know what made them sick, right? So that you can administer the right medicine to cure that sickness. So in this instance, what we have from my land uh, colleague there, Duma, is that it doesn't matter what made the economy to be weak. We just need to use the Reserve Bank to solve it. And unfortunately, that's not how the economy works. You need to find out exactly what caused the slowdown or the contraction that we have. Most of the things are not within the, the, the Reserve Bank's mandate. So to try and solve that using monetary policy is very misinformed. But again, just to touch on the comparisons with the developed countries or even China in terms of what they've been doing with their monetary policy, it's also quite misinformed because if you look at countries like the U.S. and the Eurozone, they are fighting low inflation, which means they've been trying to get the inflation to their upper, tar- I mean, to their target, and they've been failing. So, in a country where you are fighting low inflation, you have to try and stimulate the economy using monetary policy uh, to to boost that inflation. What we are fighting is not low inflation, so we can't use monetary policy to try and 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 stimulate the economy. The issues in the economy are structural in the micro in the micro economy in the sectors talk manufacturing, talk mining, where the Reserve Bank cannot really solve the problem. But, but Isaiah, Isaiah I mean, I would have a question on that one because if you look at any of the retail numbers that have been coming through in the last uh, 24 months and even uh, uh, the uh, figures on production that we saw earlier on this week, they speak volumes about how subdued demand conditions are in the economy. In the economy. That's, and one wonders... That's very true. Wait, wait, wait let me finish the question. Let me finish yeah. the question. One wonders, and I'd love to hear your view on this one, whether or not any stimulus either coming from a fiscal end of things or even from a monetary perspective would be able, I guess, to uh, serve as a stopgap measure to try and balance things out from a demand uh, a conditions perspective. And uh, w- what would your view be? Okay, look, you're very right. Uh, the decline from the consumer sector speaks a lot of, vo- a lot of volume of what, uh, what's wrong with our economy. If the productive sectors of the economy are not growing, it means you're not going to have people that are employed who are going to demand this product. So, yes, you can loosen credit lending standards or you can even allow the sub to give everybody loans at very cheap rates. As long as those people are not employed, that demand is not sustainable. So you are not solving a long-term issue. You are just trying to, 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 to give the economy a sugar rush from which it's going to wake up and still is in the same space. What South Africa requires is 
to reform the economy in such a way that the solutions that we come with, they are long-term, they are sustainable. Okay, Duma? Yeah, we need short-term solutions. And the structural reforms that he talks about, and they haven't been proven to be able to... He has to spell out what they are precisely, because um, the ones that are talked about by the IMF, by the World Bank, they've never been proven to deliver in the short-term. Which ones are those? Which which one are those? Sorry? Which one? Which ones are those? Well, not, they they talk vaguely in these things. They talk about uh, reforms in product markets, reforms in um, labor markets, which is like and so forth. It's like they talk about in vaguely, but the IMF itself has said that structural reforms do not deliver growth in the short term, mm. and they repeatedly said, and they have themselves called for. Uh, where it's possible for countries to use stimulus measures to, to reflate the economy. So I don't understand. You know, you can fix the production side of the economy, but if nobody's going to come and buy your stuff, what, what use is that? So what I'm not saying that we must just use the Reserve Bank. I'm saying that there are various measures. We can't just rely on inflation on interest rates. Um, we talked about quantitative easing. Um, there are quasi-fiscal operations that the central bank can do, and it happens in many developing countries mm. where they buy um, government bonds to finance the fiscus. Um, and you see it a lot in all the rich countries. You see it in some developing countries, China as well. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And then the other way you can do it is not just by buying existing bonds. You can put money directly into the economy, into productive sectors of the economy from the central bank. So there are many tools that the central banks can use beyond um, interest rates. And this is something that we have to look at in the in the country as well. Mm. And then there's also the issue of the fiscal stimulus. There's the issue of, yeah, so, so it doesn't work by itself. We have to get this economy going. We have to do everything, the kitchen sink, getting this economy going. And we can't be having obscure debates about issues about structural reform. Unless you spell it out exactly which one it is, we can talk about it. But if it's going to deliver reform and benefits in two years and three years, we shouldn't be doing it. Okay, Isaiah, let me give you an opportunity to spell out, of course, what some of these micro-level structural reforms uh, that uh, we ought to be considering are. I think uh, we, we, we know from many studies, including the ones that he say the IMF has been quite obscure, perhaps he's not just uh, honest enough to try and spell them out. We know we have a skill shortage in this country. It's not a, not a secret. We don't have enough engineers. We don't have enough doctors which are required within the, the productive uh, economy. If you ask the guys at ESCOM, they will tell you we don't have enough engineers. They have to import engineers from China and elsewhere to come and fix our power plants. So that is a constraint on our economy, skills in general. But also, if you look at in terms of our energy costs, they're way too high compared to, uh, to global energy prices, which means the stuff that we produce here, we produce it at a very high cost, which means they are not competitive globally. If you are producing at a higher cost relative to someone like China that is producing it close to nothing, your products are not going to be able to, to be sold. And if we say we want an export-led growth, we should have the ability to produce at a low cost. So you need to have a low-cost economy or production. That's, so cheap energy, that's, cheap that's labor. Cheap energy, cheap labor. Is that what you say? Exactly. You need, you need to, 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 to be able, ah, to, be able to have <laughs> a, a affordable labor. As, as, as the countries such as China used to have, the, the many emerging markets that go like India, they have quite affordable, affordable labor for the private sector to be able to operate uh, efficiently. But I think, you know, 
Duma is very dishonest in his debate. Uh, and, and for me, it's, 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 very, it's very surprising, but also it's, uh, it's, it doesn't help uh, in the conversations that we are having. I, I just want him to spell out what are the conditions that will make quantitative easing, for instance, to be successful. If he knows and if he can tell me if we have those conditions currently. Okay. For us to Isaiah, to Isaiah, I think has heard the question, but I, I have a follow-up question certainly to, what, to some of the issues that you flagged, especially on the issue yes. of skills and, of course, uh, the energy and some of the labor issues. And uh, certainly from my own understanding, that those are uh, constraints on the supply side. Um, what do we need to do to ensure that we lift the some of the... Side, yeah. Wait, let me finish. What do we need to do to lift some of the uh, constraints that are binding, I believe, on the demand side of the economy? Because uh, certainly one does think that a big chunk of what uh, we have as a challenge in South Africa is a challenge of demand. That's true. A big chunk that we have over the short term is a challenge of demand. But if you look, by and large, South Africa does not have a demand problem. Because, oh, no. uh, you, you know, we have a very small number of people that are you know, working that can afford to buy things. So, for instance, we know South Africa is, a, is one of the countries that is, uh, that is very high inequality, which means a few people control or they have the means to buy the products that we produce. But is that so not a problem? It, it is a problem because the supply side is not generating enough jobs to absorb a lot more people so they can have the buying power. We can't induce that demand by just giving credit to people that can even afford to service the debt. Because the next problem that you have is you have systemic issues with banks when people default on loans, okay. which can put the economy into risk again. So lending recklessly is not a solution. Okay, let's pause there. People that don't have jobs, that don't earn incomes, are not going to be able sure. to service the, the debt which they are given. Okay, let's pause there slightly. And of course, encourage many of our listeners just on this debate of supply and demand uh, to uh, check out something called Say's Law. Uh, which talks about, I guess, supply creating its own demand. Duma, uh, you were certainly, uh, of course, uh, moved there on the other side. And uh, there was a question posed to you uh, by, um, by Isaiah around what conditions are required to make uh, uh, a quantitative easing as open market operations feasible and successful. Okay, so, um, okay, so, so first of all, I have to say that I'm completely lost. Um, I don't understand how an economy that has just collapsed at all levels and on the, on the expenditure side, on the production side, someone can say that we don't have a demand problem. Consumers are stressed, they're not spending, and you say that we don't have a demand problem. I'm completely lost. Now, if there is more supply than demand, then we should be having deflation, and we're not having deflation. Now, I'm just saying one of the tools that we have to look at is to expand the tools available at the central bank as is happening in other countries. So what is number one? The central bank, we must look at our whole balance sheet. If you look at, um, let's say, the purchasing of government debt, mm. in many of these countries, the central bank, as I said, engages in quasi-fiscal operations where they purchase government debt. That's number one. Number two, the problem with that, it doesn't provide a fiscal stimulus because you're purchasing existing debt um, on the secondary market. So people are saying now we need to intervene directly and and sort of um, provide financing into the real economy, into the productive sector. So I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, what does it mean in practice? It means that the central bank can, find, can capitalize the IDC to lend on 
they can provide um, capital to the IDC at, let's say, 3% interest for them to invest in productive assets. I don't see anything wrong with that. We are, so that's what I'm trying to talk about. You're not going to use quantitative easing to start a consumption spree. No ways. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the other issue here, of course, uh, is, is not only around, um, you know, just putting those investments in the real economy, but what is the import intensity of some of those investments? Because uh, a big chunk of the issues here is really around balance of trade and uh, what impact uh, uh, this would have on the currency, which is one of the questions some one of our listeners here has uh, put out to Sisipo saying, uh, what implications is this going to have on uh, the movements of the rand and by extension, of course, uh, price conditions in the local economy? Look, Duma? I, I think I okay. think yeah, yeah. Duma will be able to answer that question. But in any case, he didn't answer Give my him an opportunity on then. the conditions <laughs> that are required uh, for, for quantitative easing that he has been pushing so much before before we, we, we got into the deeper conversation. But I think you are quite right. We can try to stimulate the demand side. All it's going to result in is an import of goods which is going to skew the balance of payments. Our current account deficit, every time demand picks up, particularly from a credit side, you know it balloons, and that weakens the currency quite, 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 quite significantly, causing an inflationary pressure, which the Reserve Bank would have to respond again by hiking interest rates. So I, I struggle to, to really have a, 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 a fruitful conversation when, it, despite the reasons that you give and despite how logical they are, when, when an analyst is so hell-bent just push an idea which they see it, it doesn't have any backing. It's quite quite destructive. Duma? Well, Isaiah is just sticky, sticking to a right-wing ideology against all evidence that we have a problem on the demand side. So I just can't I, I can't even begin to engage because I don't understand. I've got nobody in South Africa is against improving our skills level. Nobody's against um, having cheaper energy. But these are things that we sort out in the long term. What can we do to stimulate the economy in the short term. That is what we should be focused on. Yeah. Gentlemen, we'll have to leave it there and uh, really appreciate both of your time. And uh, uh, as you can uh, imagine uh, for us uh, listeners here, the um, uh, contentiousness of this particular debate speaks volumes about uh, uh, this uh, particular conversation, not one being characterized by easy trade-offs. And uh, of course, all of us, I guess, have the task of uh, uh, ensuring that we clue ourselves up on some of these debates and uh, uh, I'd like to appreciate uh, Duma Kubula and Isaiah Mshanga for joining us uh, for this uh, conversation and uh, certainly one that is going to be occupying the National Executive Committee of the ANC long into the future. On the other side of this, I'm going to be reading through some of your tweets, uh, some of those coming through around, of course, uh, the uh, policy mix, which uh, uh, this uh, particular issue is an indelible part of. Stay tuned to Metro FM Talk.